Welcome to another episode of Not Another Education Podcast, the podcast where we can't promise that you'll learn anything, but if you like great chat, great guests, and awesome stories, then you are in the right place. Today, we have Dr. Julia Raby joining us for this COP26 special. She's going to be talking all things vegan, science communication, and what her field of research is. Here's Ingrid to play us in. We may wander off on a tangent or two, and I hope you're all ears, because we may talk off a few. But other than that, take a load off, relax. The fun has begun. We're not just another education podcast. Yeah, I've been listening to like a little bit of like hypothesis um, recently, because like, um, I saw, well, obviously, in prep for you coming on here, but I also saw um, some really, like, funny topics that I was like, is that a thing, you know? <laughs> like, one, is that a thing? Like, um, you know, the horoscopes one. I mean, I was terrible for horoscopes. Like, I used to, like, doing, like, the internet didn't really exist, but it kind of did at the same time. Like, yeah, I feel horoscopes like maybe, were the one horoscopes were the one that and disney lyrics that i used to like literally go to the internet cafe to seek out i remember you you used to play yville do you remember yville is that what that's called i've been the thinking little, like, about that cartoons yeah 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 yeah. And, yeah yeah and you could like go to the mall and you could like change your wig your hair color and you'd be like a little egg at first and you'd just be floating around <laughs> like a little egg yeah and you Oh my god, I've been trying to describe this game to Johnny for like the longest time. Why and, then and then when you'd start, you'd be like a noob, wouldn't you? Like yeah, this little like yeah. ugly egg with just like yeah. eyes. Because <laughs> you couldn't afford to like buy like eyebrows. Yeah, and that's how you knew someone wasn't that cool because you had no eyebrows, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh that my was the, god. That was actually how we that was all we did on the internet was go on Wyville. I wonder whether like you can still play it or is Farmville. Oh now, my god. Now that I don't Farmville. really know. I know. God, we were originals. We were like, I don't know. I just used to kind of like go into the internet cafe, hand over like my two Euros or my five hundred pesetas, as it was at the time. And uh just log on and a hotmail account my hotmail account was tara woo woo do you at hotmail.com because of tara i remember at the that time. tara woo woo <laughs> that, that was your msn as well i remember that yeah tara no woo-woo. one's gonna no one's gonna be able to contact me on that so please don't <laughs> <laughs> please do not please do not get in touch with that email address it is defunct it's, it's no longer around no they've probably deleted it just because it's like 15 years old now but um, yeah, let's get into the thick of it. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll do my intro separate to this because um, we've only done a few episodes and I'm not going to lie to you, haven't actually recorded one yet. So um, I'm going <laughs> to go. I'm going to try and do the um, the intro so it's all kind of consistent. But um, yeah, um, I just want to welcome to the show Julia Ravy in all her glory. Here she is. Um, I'm here. <laughs> she's here. I'm here. 
Yeah, ready to rumble. Exactly. That's what we like to hear. And yeah, Julia um, is joining us for this really special episode on um, COP26 um, in this mini series. And essentially, we're looking at all things that impact environment and the planet we live on. And yeah, Julia is a science communicator. She's worked extensively with BBC Bite Size Daily. She is working towards a PhD in neuroscience. Are you Mm -hmm. a doctor yet? No, you're, not so, yet. you're so I, close, aren't you, to being a doctor? So close. I'm saying I'm like 98% <gasps> of the way there. Oh. But the last 2% is like the most terrifying. So that's in a few weeks, I have my like final exam. And that's like the last thing I do. Wow. And it's like a three hour like conversation with two experts in my field. And they literally walk through my PhD thesis, which is like a 300 page document and they go through it like page by page and essentially are like why did you do that tell us more about this and it takes about three hours so that's in a few weeks time and then as soon as that's done they have a discussion and decide if I've passed or not so I'll find out in a few weeks time if I've passed I feel like you 100% will Um, well this is what people around me are saying but in my own head I because I wrote this thing quite a while ago with the whole pandemic everything got a bit delayed and I feel like I can't even really remember what I did so the next two weeks is gonna be booking it like I'm just gonna have to read my thesis from top to toe and like try and remember what what I did and then justify like why I did it I'm sure once I'm back into it it will feel like okay I can do this but at the minute I just feel like, oh my goodness, like how is that actually going to happen in like a few weeks time? <laughs> so, yeah. so like, I mean, I I feel like I know, well, I mean, not in scientific terms, but like I know a little bit about like your research, like what, what is like your thesis on? Like, I feel like that's like the worst question ever to ask you, but just for <laughs> people who are like, you know, either following you already or looking to follow you um, and kind of like your journey to Dr. Doctor Land, um, Doctor La- the land of the doctors. That's where I moved to. Straight after my Viva, you're on a plane and you're shipped to yeah. Doctor Land, and sounds then I just sit on a throne there. Yeah. I know it sounds, and that would be like the worst place to be, probably. Like, oh my goodness, I would not enjoy Doctor Land. But my thesis was a bit of a. It's in a nutshell. My research is on Alzheimer's disease, and my focus is about understanding the mechanisms of Alzheimer's disease. So like, why do brain cells die in Alzheimer's? And we try and get a little bit more specific in like a PhD. So projects can like vary within that theme. But mine was about looking at people who have quite different presentations of Alzheimer's disease. So sort of different symptoms or different like rates of progression. So how long the disease lasts. And then trying to look in the brains of these people and see if we can spot any differences so essentially they're all diagnosed with having alzheimer's disease but are there actually like different mechanisms going on in people who have different symptoms um that we can sort of split up alzheimer's disease into like multiple subtypes and then that'll hopefully help in the future we're trying to find like better treatments more specific like support and putting people onto clinical trials where the mechanisms that are going like wrong in their brain those mechanisms are actually being targeted. So that's sort of what my project was about. Yeah, because I am, I remember like asking you a little bit about this a while ago. And I guess like when you're saying about how you can split it up into like, I guess smaller and maybe like more specific and different types of Alzheimer's, um, 
I guess is that like similar to what they maybe would have done with cancer you know if, if like they're like well this person has cancer but what type of cancer where in the body is it originating from and is it kind of like that with the brain like which part of the brain are these cells dying um yeah that's pretty much that's the model that we're sort of striving towards I think with with most diseases that cause dementia so like with cancer you you know there's different types of cancer but within those types there are different subtypes and the more specific we are about the actual diagnosis the better the treatment is for that person because it's like we know it's affecting this tissue of the body it's this type of cancer these are the changes that are happening in the cells in the tumor and because of that we'll give you this treatment so with like diseases that cause dementia, like Alzheimer's disease is the most common. Um, with those diseases, we still don't know exactly what causes them. So we want to understand what causes them. And then if we look at individual people, like how is it that those people differ in terms of what's happening in the brain? And then once we know that, we can formulate like better treatments essentially. So yeah, it's just about getting more and more specific and really trying to like tease apart people who are all classed under the umbrella of like yeah. having Alzheimer's disease to hopefully in the future, make their care better, their support better and treatments better I, as well. I think it's like such an amazing thing because for a very long time, like, I mean, especially for like someone like me who like knows like very little about it scientifically, like it, you know, it's portrayed as this kind of like, thing that once somebody has it it's so unsure and people don't really know which way it's going to go and you know no one really it's kind of like a a sentencing isn't it really like well that's it now mm. so like all we can do is put things in place from a like holistic perspective but mm -hmm. I know there's been like loads of developments like you know in the in the past few years of that sort of thing and you know they're a lot yeah. they're a lot better I think like in terms of like when the UK especially like I feel like they're a lot better at catching those things a bit quicker than they used to be so they can you know at least prepare yeah. the family for like alternative care. That's it and I think the earlier we diagnose these conditions the better because the conditions that cause dementia start in the brain like 10 to 20 years before symptoms. Wow. So you're thinking in a you know, an ideal future situation, you could diagnose someone 10 to 20 years before they got symptoms because of what's happening in their brain and then put them on a treatment to stop them ever having symptoms. Like the symptoms is like the midpoint or quite a late point in the actual disease itself. And the symptoms are, you know, a consequence of the brain cells dying. But if we can get re rewind a little bit and get to the point where we can target like, okay, what's causing those brain cells to die and stop that happening, then we could stop the onset of dementia and dementia is the symptoms. So that's how we differentiate like Alzheimer's disease and dementia. Dementia is all the symptoms of that you associate with Alzheimer's disease. Okay. But Alzheimer's disease is the disease that drives those changes in the brain and oh. that leads to dementia. See, I didn't yeah. know that. I kind of thought they were like two very similar conditions yeah I think that's something that because the the terms are used quite interchangeably like dementia Alzheimer's disease but there are many different diseases that cause dementia and Alzheimer's disease is the one that is the most common that we think so it's often used like as an alternative for dementia or, or Alzheimer's disease is used instead of dementia dementia is used instead of Alzheimer's disease but dementia is the symptoms so someone can have Alzheimer's disease without having dementia those early stages is Alzheimer's disease, but it's really hard to catch because the symptoms are the indicator that we go off at the minute. It's like, you're, you're a bit more forgetful and all of these things will give you a brain scan. 
it's not like we're scanning everyone's brains like 10 years before to see because that's just at the minute isn't feasible so we're trying to like build really good diagnostic like blood tests where we can see years before okay it looks like you might be heading down this path so now we can get you on a clinical trial to see if this drug might work and prevent it and all of those things so yeah it's a it's a really i'd say it's a really exciting time to be in dementia research because it's a field that hasn't had a lot of money and attention compared to other conditions but over the past you know 20 plus years or so we're now getting the investment that we need to really investigate like why these diseases happen and hopefully that will drive like really effective treatments we can hope we can hope yeah i mean it, it, it's an amazing field of research and i feel like mm-hmm. anything to do with like the brain in general is like so so complex so mm. it sounds amazing what you're doing and you know, it's, I know how kind of hard you've worked on this thesis of I, as I've been kind of like following <laughs> your like story and everything. And yeah, yeah. I am, um, I think you're going to, I think you're going to really impress them. Um, Julia, I've got, got every, oh. every kind of uh, confidence that you will. Yeah. I mean, I think like Johnny had a Thank similar um, thing, obviously it's, it's nowhere near kind of like that qualification, but he had to basically explain his like dissertation and like a two hour oral mm. presentation. And yeah, they ask questions about it and yeah, it's like, why did you choose this? Why did you do that? And yeah, it, I guess it's just like, hopefully, I mean, his were quite good in the way that like, if he didn't answer something, they like probed him a bit more or like tried to guide him to the right bit. Yeah, bit that's, more. I think... Having that in mind, like the examiners aren't there to trip you up. Like if anything, they're there to just say like, like, why did you do this? And make you think a bit more about what you've done and, you know, give you some suggestions for the future. Because even though I'm not carrying on my work for my PhD, there are now other students who have picked up what I, you know, the point I got to. Other students have now picked that work up and they're carrying it on. So it's more for like the development of like the field as a whole. It's like, well, you could think about doing this and then I can pass that information on to the people who are now carrying on with my projects. So like, I think that's really nice in a way. It's nice to have that conversation with other experts in the field who might see things that you haven't seen yourself. So I'm I'm trying to look at it more like that so I don't get too stressed. I'm like, it's a conversation yeah. and I can talk for days. So let's just hope it's like that. But yeah, not not long now until it's all done. And I will be very, very relieved and hopefully can then like celebrate it. Cause I feel like until I reach that end point, I really haven't reflected and celebrated like what yeah, I've done so far. That's fair. That's absolutely yeah. fair. And it is it's like, like four years uh, yeah, of work. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, yeah. when's this going to be over? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's not for the faint hearted, is it? And like, no. I think one thing that kind of like, you know, people kind of look to for you as well. And like, I think one of the things that makes you really special is because, and I think as well, like, because my um one of my really good friends was like, Oh, Julia Ravy on TikTok is actually like a really big deal. Like and this, this person, this person like isn't in the science community at all. They just like really like your stuff. And um for anyone who Aww. doesn't kind of like know what I'm I, I guess I'm talking about, like Julia um is kind of battling some stereotypes, one TikTok at a time in a couple of videos. Okay. And um yeah, I feel like is is it like um arrogant to say that went viral? Because I feel like someone told me it did go viral and um Yeah, I've had so TikTok is a funny, it's a funny platform, really. Like you can post some stuff and no one really sees it, and you're like, this is fine. And then you post one video and all of a sudden it's like 
500,000 people have seen that now. And you're like, <laughs> oh my goodness. And, it's, and you're like, that video, seriously? Like that one? When I'm there, just like talking, I don't know, and not literally brushing my hair. So that's great. But it's a very, like, the the way it works, it's, well, in my opinion, the way the virality on TikTok works is a way to hook you in because at any point, any video could go viral. So it makes you want to keep posting because you think it could be the next one. It could be the next one. You know, that's my whole theory about why some videos go off and why some don't. And obviously it's to do with engagement. But anyway, but yeah, so I've had a few videos that have gone like that and you just go, oh my goodness, like it's quite overwhelming but I really enjoy it and I've taken like about a two-month break from it now just because of this final PhD stage and I've said to myself because I really enjoy doing that but it takes a lot of brain power it takes a lot of preparation I want to make sure what I'm saying is like good especially with science I like it to be accessible but also like accurate and not be like sweeping over things so it takes a lot of prep and when I've got this PhD final exam coming up I said to myself until that is done no TikTok so in a few (laughs) weeks time hopefully I can start to like ramp up back up again and do a bit more on there but yeah I really enjoy it it's very very fun very fun yeah and I think that's like a really like kind of big deal is that like you know kind of branching out to make sure that science is accessible is just one of the the barriers in, in terms of like how people look at careers and in the science community, you know, and um, I kind of wanted just to, to rewind a little bit and um, like talk about kind of like, you know, because I feel from like when I've known you, you were kind of, um, you're really theatrical um, and you're really outgoing and, you know, is, <laughs> so I guess I just want to understand the journey from like someone who is like really active in theatre to someone who's, you know, um, looking at a PhD in neuroscience um like what happened what happened there like I I mean I think it's great because like it looks like the two have kind of merged but I just yeah like what 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 kind of happened did you always want to be um you know on this pathway and you know what kind of sparked that interest not at all like I, I honestly I think this sounds really weird, but like at school yeah I was always dead set on doing like drama performance love all of that side of things and then at school naturally science and maths to me I can I just get I get it and I think I struggle more so with English and writing because to me science and maths is the right answer well now doing science to this level that is not the case but (laughs) at school it was like you learn you learn this and then you do that in the exam and I'm like that's great I can really get my head around that English and other subjects I was like no like it's like just write about this and then sometimes I'd write an essay and it would do really well and other times I'd write an essay and it wouldn't do well and I was like but what's the formula like how do how did that one do well and that one didn't like did I put does there need to be like 10 quotes for it to do well like I like to have a really specific yeah, like mark sure. scheme so I think because of my need for that sort of order and control <laughs> I gravitated towards science and maths and then did them at a level and at a level it's better than GCSE because GCSE it's quite dry a level it's a little bit more interesting and you see the application a bit more and so from doing it at a level I then was like yeah I think I want to do this at university I was gonna maybe go to drama school but I I I was like do you know what I just didn't like the whole uncertainty of all the auditioning and all of that sort of stuff for me I was like, I just don't think I'd cope well with that. So I went to do neuroscience at university, absolutely loved it. But on the side of that, did a lot of musical 
theater. And I'd say I spent like equal amounts of time in the theater and in the lab. Like I'd say it was 50-50 split and I only got a degree in neuroscience. So <laughs> I need to like speak to the university because, you know, should have a musical theater degree. Well. No, I'm joking. But it was pretty much like 50-50. And I love that balance because I was getting that like... I don't know. I was getting my like fix for performance and then I could do the science on the, for like, I say science on the side. It was literally my degree. So it was not on the side. It's like, out. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, <clears throat> right. <clears throat> science on the side. So I think getting the two together, yeah. that worked really nicely. And then when I went into my PhD, I again was doing some musical theater, then realized it wasn't sustainable with doing a PhD because the hours for a PhD are sometimes a bit out of your control, depending on what's going on. So I then was like, do you know what? I'm going to make a science communication like platform on Instagram and with the hope of making videos about science because that will then fit, like it will then be like the performance element, but with the science and then I can just do the two together. And I just loved it. Like as soon as I started doing that sort of stuff, I was like, this is what I want to do like for my career. And it's a bit of a rogue one. I mean, there isn't a direct path of like, if you want to be a science presenter or producer or anything, this is what you do. That isn't that path. No. So it was quite hard. But over my PhD, I did like quite a lot of like my own stuff. And now coming through the other side of it, I work in science communication and I will be working as a producer and a presenter in the next few months, which is very exciting. So I am actually moving into science production and, and presenting, which is exactly what I wanted to do. And just because of that, building up that platform and doing all that work over time I've learned a lot and that learning I can now translate into like a role which I've like yeah. could only dream about doing you know so that's very exciting it's like there's no blueprint like really similar to podcasts no. isn't there like I mean podcasts yeah. have been around for ages haven't they but like no one's there going like this is how you make a podcast this is what makes a podcast good and like exactly ultimately like I mean you could take advice like I know because you have your own podcast which we can talk a little bit about too um Mm -hmm. I came to you before like Twinkle started their podcast and you know it's really good to kind of like speak to other people but ultimately like there is no how-to guide there's no school there's no class you can take Um, it is very much like you're carving your own pathway, which is really exciting. And I also feel like, you know, it it, it gives so much freedom to kind of like the generation of like kids coming up and just what they can do. I mean, to be honest, like 10 years ago, um, when I left uni, I'd never even think I'd be doing anything remotely like this. Um, Is it so bizarre? You wouldn't wouldn't (laughs) predict it. And I was it was my birthday yesterday. Happy birthday! I know I've already said that. You've already said you already knew, but yeah, yeah, I was twenty (laughs) nine yesterday, and I had this conversation with my partner with Matt in the morning, and I just said to him like, if you'd asked eighteen year old me what would I be doing at twenty nine, I was like, in short, not this. Like that, this was just it was not like a I have this goal and that's what I want to do it's just sort of happened over time and I think if you're always following something that's you're interested in and you enjoy and it's like you want to work on that outside of work you just enjoy doing it then if you do that enough over time you just build up such a wealth of knowledge and you don't even realize you have that knowledge and it just ends up looking like at some point, if a great job opportunity comes along, it's like you've built a CV all by yourself of all these incredible, yeah. you know, like opportunities. So yeah, it's it's bizarre. I think like now bizarre. more than ever, like there is such a culture of like, you know, you just make the opportunities. Like, you know, it, mm. it's 
to me, like, I mean, these, like, these dream jobs that you're kind of, like, talking about, like, I think, like, when they did a careers test of me in, like, high school, when I was, like, 16, they said, you'd be, like, really good as a librarian, and I'm, like, this is before I knew I was dyslexic, so I'm, like, well, that's a terrible idea. That's and terrible. It's not good, and also, I feel like, at this point, the only texts I'd read, really, were, um, were ones that were given to me in school, like, you know, read a tale of two cities and enjoy it it's like oh my gosh <laughs> forced fun I know it's not like and I've been a librarian as well it's actually like quite a a hard job my cousin's training to be like not a librarian he's training to be like an archivist which is like oh, a that's fancy cool. librarian yeah, but that's cool like you get to work in all the yeah. rare books and stuff that is this cool. is true but like it is like a librarian but like to the extreme right and it's such like to get into that the training is in, like it's just absolutely like so much you have to do you've got to, you've, a while you've, you've got to know that Dewey you've got to know that yeah system. you've got to <laughs> so to be a library you've got to be like an yeah. overly committed librarian to like to be a librarian like that so yeah if you want to progress in that career path you've got to love the books and if you're not a lover of the books then I don't think that's what you should be doing yeah I mean but they don't ask they don't ask that in, a, in the school high school test do they they just go you'd be really good at this so you should go and do this and you're like oh my goodness what, I, put me in a box already I feel like if it was a flow chart there'd be like a final stage of it and it'd be like is this yeah. person going to be a millionaire by the time they're 30 yes or no and whoever got no there's like jobs like I don't know librarian and like that type of school that I was in was kind of like you know, if you if the answer was yes, and they were like, you know, you're going to be an engineer, and they really invested in those types of kids, and felt yeah. like I wasn't really one of them. But I mean, when I've, I mean, I'm not. You know what? I actually had a job as a librarian for like a day. Um, well, there you go. You can go back to your school and be like, see, I did do it, but it didn't work. I was terrible at it. Like it was so bad. I just honestly like I just didn't know what anything was. I couldn't help anybody. It was really stressful because. <laughs> I didn't know any of the books, um, so I lasted an entire day, and my dad was very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> he's fuming. He was not he was like, I can't believe it. He was like, oh, he's he's not a librarian, is he himself? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, he was like, did you have any books on Winston Churchill? I was like, I don't know. Well, I don't know, Dad. Maybe. <laughs> World War Two, he'd be absolutely set. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah, it's like, no, these are more like, um, where do I find my sociology textbook? I was just like, yeah. oh, mate, I don't know. Dry, <laughs> dry, dry as the desert. You're like, I don't need this in my life. Well, it, that that's kind of like it. And I think like going back to what you were saying about like GCSE, like science, wasn't it? You're saying it's quite dry. Mm. Like A-level so is where it gets like a little bit more sassy, maybe in terms yeah. of science, I guess. I think. Sassy side. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I think like in general, it's... It, it, I think that's where where like the curriculum really fails kids in a sense because you know you go through the topics as a teacher and you kind of like learn it and you know you know child by child they kind of like I guess switch off because they don't understand how the science like translates into the real world and how they could use it and like the difference they could make if they just like understood these concepts or even the foundation of them um and yeah. I think like part of that problem is because like, um, you know, with the most respect, because I, I was a primary teacher, is that like primary teachers in particular have to wear like a thousand hats and they're not, mm-hmm. si- they're not scientists. They, they know just no. enough of the curriculum, you know, and 
you know, it, it's it's because of that as well as the the time constraints on teachers in general that like, you know, we then have this kind of filtering up of less and less uptake of science past GCSE because obviously it's no longer compulsory. Um, and even more so with girls, right? There's a huge problem in the UK with yeah, girls going into science. For sure. Yeah, I think it's it's now getting better, I think, because like historically the role models in science have just been like old men it's it's you know you you think of a scientist and it's a picture of Albert Einstein and I think that's something that I was really keen to do when I was doing my PhD and being present online was to show that like anyone can be a scientist the only requirement is like you're interested in science and and that's it and you know typically maybe my personality I'm very outgoing and I love to chat and you know have a good dance and all of that and maybe Traditionally, people would have not thought of that personality type as being a scientist. And I think just being like as open and as much myself as possible online has hopefully inspired other people to look at that and think, oh my goodness, yeah, like I can do that as well. Like there isn't this sort of checklist of like, I have to be, you know, introvert or I have to be like obsessed with this one tiny thing and it has to consume my entire life like we're all multifaceted human beings and your career and job is just one part of that absolutely and the more you're just yeah and the more you're yourself I just think the better you are at your work like I probably thought of things in my job that no one else would have thought of because of who I am and that's the same for every single individual who goes into science no one thinks like you and so your thoughts on something could really like turn things around or you could come up with something super interesting. And I just think, yeah, it just needs a lot of different individual voices in science to make things happen. Science is all about discovery and thinking outside the box. So you need as many different people as possible in that industry to make it work, like for sure. Yeah, that's such a good point. Like just being mm-hmm. in different perceptions and like, you know, I'm sure you've been mm-hmm. in that like, like thinking space where you're almost like banging your head against the wall, aren't you? Like, I just, I just can't see it. And then someone else yeah. will come in and like, you know, kind of see the solution straight away. But I think like in terms of diversity in that like field, if people didn't see themselves represented, like let's take, mm-hmm. I don't know, like female scientists, if, if, if young girls don't see themselves in that field they don't see people like you know like yourself kind of showing science for what it is then they're gonna think that's not for me I don't do that and that that can't be yeah. the case it's been like that for far too long and like it just can't be. exactly yeah and there's the pipeline as well like the the closer you get to the top in like academia the less positions there are and at the minute the most of them are filled by men and hopefully over the next you know decade or so once people retire and leave, those positions will be filled by people from many different backgrounds, different genders, different races, like all different cultures will fill into those positions and we'll have a really great, more diverse, I don't know, like top of science that people can look to and be like, those are the top scientists. Whereas at the minute, it's just a lot of white men. So women, like people are starting to come through who aren't white men, but it's just going to take time to really diversify that top end of science because people coming through the bottom now, there are a lot more people like people who are really different. And I think that is just, yeah, I honestly just think because science is all about coming up with new ideas. 
if you have like seven of the same people, like carbon copies, how are you going to come up with anything that's innovative and new? You need so many. It's like one of the most important industries, I think, for having lots of different voices and views represented. Yeah, like it's like an echo chamber. And I think that's like mm. an issue in itself because these people at the top who are like, you know, seemingly drive the driving force behind these discoveries and like the science community, which they're they're not. They're not. Mm. It takes like a whole team of people to do this. Like yeah. ultimately, like, you know, it, they just hire, like you're saying, carbon copies of of them because they're like, oh, I like this person, but I don't know why. Oh, it's because they're exactly like me. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just that bias of like, they they really get what I'm saying, aka they're agreeing with what I'm saying. So yeah. let's get them involved. <laughs> and it's like, you actually probably want to hire people who disagree with you because then that will give that will be more fruitful. I think if you have someone who's actively like not afraid to speak up and say, I actually don't think that's how we should do it. That's going to come to a more like, just like a better endpoint of like, wow, we've now got 20 ideas rather than the one that everyone else was too afraid to say anything or everyone just agreed because we're all so similar. Yeah. And like that, that, that's, that kind of like is a really nice segue onto like kind of what I want to say next is that you know, we need to get more comfortable of just being able to say, like, actually, I disagree. And that, like, is a British mm. British kind of, like, culture. We're like, oh, that's really rude to disagree. And it's not. It's not rude to disagree. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of feel like, really, British people in general quite like to, to disagree, just not so forthcoming. They like to do it kind of on the internet, which uh, is kind of like the whole... Oh. Um, inspiration for this episode I guess but I, I kind of like where it was going you know the, the, the science stuff so like I feel like there's like a few different ways I could I could edit this podcast for sure like yeah for sure feel like take whatever you want to take from it I mean yeah. wherever it wants to go it's like girl science um girl science. yeah exactly um so part of this like mini series is that um we're looking at kind of like I guess our impact on on the world and you're obviously making this amazing impact by you know looking at kind of like medicine and you know more um modern and um you know different sort of ways to to better really like Alzheimer's and understand and get people like better care like you were saying before but um what I kind of want to talk to you about I know you talk about this in your your own podcast and on, on your other channels as well um is like this idea of like veganism and you know so many people like whenever it's like something kind of like launches um like a product let's say in a supermarket and it's like vegan like is that a selling point we don't know really like at this point as a general consumer but like as soon as that like comes out in the news it's completely bashed it's like yeah, it's like people are just like so afraid of it, and they just like completely disagree with it, but they don't quite know why. They just don't <laughs> like it. They're just like, yeah, I think that's definitely something in psychology, which is called cognitive dissonance. <laughs> so <laughs> as, essentially, with veganism, I, I am vegan. I should say, yeah, I should, I should caveat. Yeah, it's, so not, it's, not, vegan. it's not just completely random. <laughs> You can tell you can tell us about veganism. So I am (laughs) vegan. I've been vegan for four and a half years now, maybe quite a while. I was vegan before you could actually like buy decent vegan food in Tesco. Like I would say, like we would go to Tesco and you'd just struggle to get anything that I could eat. So I was vegan in those darker days where I was just stuck having like a block of tofu fried and like that would be it or like a mushroom risotto was the only thing on a menu that you could get 
which was remotely vegan, you'd still be like, can you take the cheese out? So I was vegan back then. And I feel like year on year on year, it's just getting better and better for me because there's just so much more out there because people are now becoming a little bit more conscious and aware of what they're consuming. And I think for a long time, like I had the attitude as well of like, well, what I buy from a supermarket will not make a difference at all. And I think as individuals, a lot of us have that, well, I'm only spending like 20 quid on something. So how's that going to make a difference? But in life, there aren't many opportunities for us as individuals to have a difference, but we have where we put our money, where we put our attention and who we vote, vote for. Like, I feel like those are the three things of like where we can actually like influence things. So with that, I, I got a little bit more, you know, aware and I was thinking, you know, maybe if I had the attitude of like, well, maybe I can make a difference. And it, if a lot of people had that attitude, then you actually do change things. So I think people have become a lot more conscious of what they're buying. And that has resulted in loads of amazing vegan food products. So I'm very happy now. I have full cupboards, full belly. Yes, I'm very, I'm very happy with that. Very happy. So I was like speaking to someone like a couple of weeks ago, and I think it's probably a similar issue, like on like kind of the same, but like different way in in that. Um, so like palm oil, you know, and like the answer mm. is not to completely stop using palm oil, but to um you know, find a way for these like, you know, um, top chain companies, like these top tier companies to, to like filter down um, something that feels yeah. accessible to like their consumer base. So, um, you know, they were kind of saying that they like work with, um, you know, places in the community, because if you say to somebody, right, don't, don't go in and, you know, buy something or palm oil in, then, you know, they're going to like literally look for a hundred percent free and that's not the answer. So an element of it really is education and it's really complex. And I think like the thing about like veganism in general is that like, it's come at a time where people are just starting to become like almost like awoken to like what it does to the planet to have this completely meat and animal heavy reliance on the complete way like they live their lives. Um, and that, you know, we're not an ever replenishing planet. We, we just have so many resources and like, that's it. So like, I think people think that like one, it's like a diet thing and like it's people just being awkward. And, you know, I know that's not it, but like, I guess you must have had that loads, mustn't you? Like, I know you've been vegan for, for a long time because remember like you came, came to, um, came to my wedding I, I will say as well like Ju- Ju- Julia is my niece so like she's close family um I'd yeah. be mates her anyway because I think she's she's top but um yeah we'd be we'd be mates anyway we 100% would um I know but you know it's uh um, the rebels of the family the cool ones in the family I feel like that I mean obviously I we when are. this launches they might shun us but who knows yeah they might but who, <laughs> who cares, cares? who cares we're still our own clan <laughs> yeah and I think that like you know when you kind of came to my wedding like when I think back then like I feel so bad because you know <laughs> we had um this cheesecake not like a cheesecake like um cream and biscuit base I mean like a cake made out of cheese and like I guess mm. for a vegan that's like horrifying <laughs> but also like it's, it's, I, I think it's kind of like you know you want people to be accommodated and I think like restaurants and stuff like probably come quite far but yeah you, mm. mu- you must get kind of asked like well what is it you can eat because um 
my mom asked a little while ago when you were coming around, I'm just going to get some pizzas. I'm like, Julia can't eat pizza. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's like, it's been four years. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. She cannot eat. But your mom got me some great vegan stuff. She went to a vegan cafe and got me some vegan nice. pasties and vegan cakes. Very nice. So your mom, your mom actually, I had like more food than everyone else. Cause like, she was like, this bag is for you. And it was like a big bag of vegan stuff. And I was like, this is amazing. Like what on earth? But yeah, I think that is the thing. You get asked a lot, like, like what can you eat? And like the more sort of, I don't know, not annoying question, but it's, it's not annoying. It's now like I can take it much easier now. It's like, why are you vegan? And oh, that is a good question. I didn't even like, yeah. think, like, I don't tend to ask people why they make the choices they do because I kind of feel like it's probably one way or another quite a personal thing. But if you want to say why, that's great too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like why? But so many people go, well, why, why are you vegan? And I'm like, well, do you want me to give you the answer that like, I really, really why I'm vegan? Yeah, yeah, go on. So I'll say, and then all of a sudden they're so defensive back. And it's like, you asked me why, I told you why. And then all of a sudden what I get back to me is like, well, that's ridiculous. Why, why are you doing that? And I'm like, cause you asked like, and I'm not, it's like, that's my opinion. And like, that's the way I want to live my life. Yeah. And I told you why. And I feel like I get that quite a lot because people... Not everyone, obviously, but sometimes when you have a conversation with someone who doesn't choose to like live their life like the other person, when you say your reasoning for why you choose to live your life in that way, they can see that as like an attack on them. And like you're essentially telling me through your words and your choices that what I'm doing is wrong. And it's like, that's literally not what I ever try to do. But sometimes I've got into like quite... I hate heated discussions. I'm not that type of person, but yeah. sometimes I get like, well, why would you do that? It's just like antisocial. And I've had these conversations before. Oh, wow. So like, oh, it was antisocial. Oh, yeah. No. So I've heard that like, it's so antisocial that you won't just eat what everyone else eats. And, and it's like, you know, it's, yeah, it's hard. So I just think the whole thing with veganism, that whole rise of like, you know, in the press when Greg's released the sausage roll that was vegan, that was literally like front praise news for like two weeks and you had everyone like bashing it like oh my god vegan sausage roll shouldn't eat that and I think it's just more like the individuals who feel that passionate about like vegan food being like terrible and it's like I don't know like destroying the humankind those people like they're the ones who take it as like someone being vegan is an attack on what I'm doing and what I believe I'm doing I believe that is okay, but maybe there's a part somewhere inside, which if I listen to what they're saying, I might have to change what I'm doing and I don't want to change, if that makes sense. Yeah, like yeah. I, I think like, you know, we're, we're creatures of habit, aren't we? And for so yeah. long, for like thousands of years, you know, we've been told that, you know, animals, we eat them, we use yeah. products, we utilize mm-hmm. them in every way, da, 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 yeah. all this stuff. And you know, people being told, well, actually, you don't understand, like, the implications around that. So, like, I just want to pick up on something you said. Um, mm. I feel like you said it really well. Like, you know, you're just kind of, like, destroying the planet. I saw something on Twitter, like, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and and I was just, like, kind of, like, really trying to make sense of this. I'll put the picture in, like, the bio of, of the show. But, like, <laughs> if I can describe it to you, it's, like, an illustration of a cow in a wheelchair and this the stick man yeah. running away with like a wheel that said grass on it and then 
the man was labeled vegan. So like the man is taking the grass, which is representative of what the cow needs. That, that's what I can understand. But I was just like, yeah, Wait, what? Because <laughs> it's just like, it's just such a lack of education behind stuff like that. So like, you know, is yeah. there actually any science behind like, you know, if anyone feels like vegans are destroying the world, like I really want to spell that because... Yeah, that is, I think, like, you know, I'm not saying veganism is the perfect solution to, you know, saving the planet. I don't, I think there's so much that needs to be done and so much more than just the individual level, like you were saying before. It's like, it, we need the heads of, I don't know, countries, governments, companies to really filter down that messaging. So it's not like, you know, the individual, but in the sense of like veganism destroying the planet, it's much, much better for the planet to be vegan than to not be vegan. And because this whole thing of like, well, vegans are eating a lot of grass, like, you know, food that animals eat. It's essentially like, well, animals are just the middleman in between you getting that grass. So the animals have to eat the grass anyway for you to then kill the animal. So why don't we just get the animals out of the equation and just eat the plants? Like, you know? Yeah. So it's like, that's just a really funny way. And there's always this big, I don't know, whenever... This has come to me a lot of the time. Like, well, if you're vegan, like soya beans are like terrible for deforestation. You know, they're destroying the planet. The amount of soya beans we have to grow and produce. But I think it's like a ridiculous number. Like 90%, the majority of soya bean production goes to feed cattle that we eat. So really, if everyone stopped eating cattle, like that's never going to happen. And I don't think that should be the message that vegans put out because you know, people have to have choices and health conditions and whatever. But hypothetically, if we were to remove the cattle element from there, we'd only have to probably increase the soy production somewhat marginally to feed everyone. Right. So it's it's more like the, the whole soya overproduction argument that is overproduced to feed animals that people then eat. So that is... It, it, you know, it, there's it, a lot. It, of it goes like hand that. in hand, doesn't it? Like, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It, 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 I, I find as well, like people don't tend to see like the bigger picture, like because they just. Mm. I mean, that probably sounds a little bit harsh that people don't like. I feel like people maybe do, or at least they don't understand it, or they don't maybe see how how they can make a change in their like every day. Mm. I think like um. So one thing that kind of like bugs me is that you know, like I don't like. I'd say like I'm mainly vegetarian because, and I mean, there's, there's like a weird story behind this. So like, oh, we have three, I love a weird story. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. I've, I've, me, me and chicken is quite a complex relationship. I feel. Yeah. Um, complex. Going back a long time. Um, I won't, I won't bore you with the details because I feel like if people like chicken then they won't want to know. Um, but <laughs> essentially we have like chickens. Uh, we bought them last year when, like my other half thought the world was going to end and we would need something to eat. And I don't mean the chickens, I mean the eggs they make because that yeah. just feels really mean and a little bit, I don't know, a bit strange to kill your pets. <laughs> yeah, the world's going to end. So let's buy three chickens and then we can eat three chickens. Yeah, and then that's it. It's like, <laughs> that's it. That's some fantastic Mr. Fox rubbish right there. <laughs> so it's nice. So we have, we have these, we had these three chickens and they're silky chickens and they're like the friendliest, cutest things. And to be honest, we didn't end up eating many of their eggs because the thing about silky chickens is they're really maternal. 
So mm. they have like phantom pregnancies of these eggs. So they could lay like four eggs and just sit on them and you don't move them. So you kind of just have to leave them to it. So a lot of yeah. the eggs, sadly, we just end up like baking in the oven and reusing their shells for grit for the chickens to lay more eggs. It's a bit of a strange process. Um, <laughs> I'm new to it, so I'm not going to claim to be an expert. Um, but essentially, <laughs> one of them a few months ago got really sick and I took this chicken to the vet and it was I'm gonna I'm gonna like admit it was like my favorite one it was a really great fluffy one called speckle and um yeah they they couldn't do anything for it it lived in the house for like a whole week it like came completely lame and we had to like basically put this chicken down and Jonathan had to like basically mm. deal with that because I didn't really want to know and I still don't know to this day what he did so you can probably fill in the blanks there I guess but um yeah <sighs> and it's in our garden like buried obviously not just on the grass um and since then <laughs> I just decaying on the grass oh it's just terrible vision that isn't it but since then no. I, just, I just can't I just can't eat it um and I, I think it's because people don't associate like eating meat with an actual animal if that makes sense mm. like you know when you go to yeah. mcdonald's it could probably be the furthest thing that ever could look from like you know beef ground beef even if it is i don't know whether it is but you know yeah <laughs> that that's completely it. it's you go to a supermarket and everything is packaged up and and ready to go straight into the pan or the oven or whatever and it doesn't even look like the animal and i think so many of us just fall into the lifestyle of eating that because we don't actually like ever have to truly think about what yeah. it is it's like no accountability, I, yeah. isn't it? Like if you no. if you if you don't know the process, like then you don't have to kind of deal with it. And you know, so I I I was speaking to Jonathan about this. He's like my mm. husband. Well, not like he is. He is my husband. <laughs> and um, I was saying, you know, about about this kind of making that exact argument that you know I, I've seen how this is made, and I don't feel comfortable. That's my choice. All this mm-hmm. sort of stuff. And he's like, well, what if we hunted our own food? And I'm like, with what and where? Like, where do you think we live? <laughs> I was like, you don't just see like deer. Like, he's watching a lot of, you know, kill it and cook it yourself. And I'm like, there's absolutely no way you would bring that home and like deal with it. And it'd just be like... Deal with the whole thing. Yeah, it'd just uh, be like the worst thing ever. And you'd never do it. So it'd just be sat in the shed probably. So like... Oh my God. It's just the worst, isn't it? So I don't... I mean, it's just the... Yeah. I feel like that would take I mean, me fully, yeah. fully to, away from me if he did just, that. I don't think so. But I think like, that's the thing. If you can do that, like kill it and cook it yourself, then fair play. Like fair play to you. I couldn't do it. No. So that's maybe why I'm like, maybe I shouldn't be in that if if there was like a pig in front of me and they were like for a bacon sandwich you have to kill that I would just be like absolutely not yeah I'll I'm fine so I think like thinking of things like that as well it it does sort of bring home like it makes you more conscious of what you're eating and like does what I'm eating align with like who I am as a person and who or who I want to be as a person and you know my aim in life is to go through this world and cause as little damage as possible for the next generation and the generations bef- like after that. And I just think, what can I do to minimize the damage that like me as a human who will obviously cause damage because that's the nature of like being human. And, um, but what can I do to minimize that as much as possible? And to me, like eating animal produce was something I thought, do you know what? That doesn't really align with my mantra of life as to go through and and try and not cause devastation in my wake. So that was something for me that definitely 
was a bit of a wake up call. And then I, I went vegan quite quickly and I don't really recommend, I don't know. I don't not I don't recommend doing that. But like my partner, Matt was vegan before me. And I think that made it easier because at home we were already eating vegan and like I could just easily say oh yeah I can do this and it's fine but I'd say with veganism it's not like an all or nothing thing at all you can be like I don't know do a meat-free Monday and then like try I don't know like a vegan dish at a restaurant instead of getting a meat dish like it's not all or nothing and I think if everyone adapts that sort of like flexible approach of I'm gonna just do a little bit here and there it actually like over time it'll warm you up and you'll end up doing more without even thinking about it. Like yeah, I've seen it happen to so yeah. many people. I've seen it happen. It's called flexitarian, right? So you can make yeah. like a, you know, yeah. certain changes to like your weekly patterns of, of stuff. And um, yeah, I, I heard on um, your your podcast um, that you don't, you don't eat honey. Um, I don't eat honey. No, no, honey is something I don't eat. See, um, I, I used to work with someone who um, was, you know, vegan apart from honey and they yeah. would only eat um something called free-range honey and I don't know what that is because how can bees not be free-range right well, yeah that's the wild bees and then you're like going and disturbing this wild colony of bees I don't really understand how yeah because for me it's like that's not honey it's like yeah free-range <laughs> honey and like I don't know like for me the honey it's like you're taking the bees food from them and replacing it with something that isn't the bees food and whether that's free-range or not like that's not really the problem you know what I mean for me that's like it's not about the the bees are like flying around anyway no matter where well maybe there are certain hives where the bees are like stuck in the hive the whole time and maybe there's other times where the bees are like running around on a farm running flying and um <laughs> I'd like to see bees running around on a farm that would be terrifying but yeah I guess maybe it's more like the bees are just like they can come and go and say please from the hive and they're not trapped in it but yeah, I think there's there's so many different approaches. And like I speak to people who are like, oh, I'm pretty much, you know, vegan, except I still eat Greek yogurt because I can't find an alternative that I like. And I'm like, well, that's like, how much better is that for the planet than being like, I'm not vegan at all. Like, I will never, ever try anything. And people don't realize I'm like, most people's diet will probably be about 40% vegan anyway, like veg, fruit, yeah, like yeah. a lot of pasta, rice, like a lot of like diet is vegan anyway. And I think it's not about some people don't want to sacrifice things and give things up. So it's just about like doing a little thing here and there. Trying, I always say, like, just try some vegan food and see if you like it. Cause you never know, you might find something and you're like, that actually tastes the same. Like there are now vegan sausages, which to me taste so like normal sausages. Like even my dad, who is not vegan, he has a vegan sausage and he's like, Oh my god, that's actually amazing! I would eat that. Do you ever like, trick him and be like, "Yeah, yeah, it's just like normal sausages, Dad." And like, yeah, yeah, go on, just have a bit of this. And he loves like the vegan sausage rolls and things like that. He'll happily eat them as a snack. And it's it's just about having that instead of forcing people and saying you must do this and you've got to go vegan or you're a bad person. Like that type of messaging is just like it does not work. Like psychologically, it does not work. It's just all about try something out. If you find something you like then you can you can incorporate it in if you don't like it you don't have to have it again like yeah like it doesn't have to be this confrontational thing like no but that like when you were saying about like um so there's there's um an actual name for this now which i find brilliant it's called the greg's effect you know the greg's effect quite catchy someone someone in 20 years be writing their thesis on this you wait yeah Um, you wait costa coffee and mcdonald's really are are releasing this new vegan um, menu and um so McDonald's are um, coming up with a PLT, so um, 
it's basically standing for plant, lettuce, and tomato, which, I mean, that's all plants. So I don't really get why that... <laughs> plant and plant. PPP. PPP. Mmm, <laughs> delicious. PP. <laughs> P cubed. Mmm, a PP. Mm. But you know what? Like, it's got really good reviews and people are saying, oh, it, you know, it tastes really, really good. And then um, I saw, like, yesterday, Gordon Ramsay um, endorsed Costa's vegan bacon bap on TikTok. I had it yesterday. Did, is it any good? I had it yesterday. It's really good. Is it nice? I, I, was in Costa, I was in Costa yesterday. And normally, co- like, not dis and Costa, but, like, the options for vegan have been so limited for so long. And you go in, they, they had, like, a vegan cookie or a vegan cake. So I normally would get, like, a cake and a drink. And I went in yesterday and I saw a vegan bacon bap. I went, what on earth is this? So, of course, when I see something new and vegan, I have to try it. And I had it and it was brilliant. It was really, really good. And I had a Greg's the other day. They've now got a vegan bean sausage and cheese pasty. And it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. So, yeah, I just feel it's just nice to have the option of like, oh, I'm going to Greg's today. Do you know what? I've had sausage rolls for the past few days. I'm now going to have a vegan sausage roll instead. Like, and just one day, like, you're like, oh, may as well, you know. And it's not like it tastes that, that different. With stuff like sausage roll, it's just all in the spice and the pastry in it. So it's all the in the seasoning. All in the seasoning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, do you have any, like, favorite little kind of snacks or anything like that that are, like, mm. game changers? Favorite snacks? What have I had recently that's great? Starbucks vegan breakfast sandwich is a phenomenal. What's like, on their phenomenal. breakfast sandwich? I didn't even realize they did breakfast sandwiches like in general. It's like it's like a little bap, and on it it has it's a vegan sausage patty, and it's by Beyond Meat, which is oh, incredible. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. A US company. The yeah. the burgers you can get the burgers in Tesco here now, and the sausages they're phenomenal. Yeah. But yeah, it's a patty with vegan cheese melted on top and then like a tofu egg like like a tofu crumbled with like ketchup or like a chipotle ketchup i think it's phenomenal sounds quite artistic i've got to say for starbucks yeah. that sounds like something that you know i'd expect at like a pretty nice breakfast so yeah i know it's actually like it's so good and i now feel like confident going into like nearly any coffee shop or cafe and being like i can eat whereas like even i'd say like a year and a half ago I'd be like, I know I can't eat anything here, so I'm going to pack a cereal bar in my bag because that's all I'm going to be able to eat. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think like overarching the message is that it's got to come from higher up. Like, I mean, it's so good mm. that people can make these like changes, these like, you know, incremental steps to be kind of like reducing their carbon footprint. But essentially yeah. like, you know, so going back to that palm oil thing as well, one thing I did want to tell you, I know that was like an hour ago, but one thing I, w- I wanted to say is that um, <laughs> you're Ferrero Rocher, is completely palm oil free. Yeah. But they won't put it on their packaging because of that Iceland advert where they were like, the poor monkeys. And it's not, it's not like really that all that correct in terms of like stop using it. So like there's a stigma attached to that. And the, you know, I guess in the same way there's a stigma attached to veganism because people just don't understand it. Like they just Yeah. That that thing of like the label, I feel like now a lot of marketing it's not really called like veganism it's plant-based yeah I see that in Marks and Spencer's like everything's plant plant kitchen kitchen. um yeah I started getting a few bits um just just to try it out and like see what it was like um just because I feel like the other stuff I'm not gonna lie it's become a little bit dull for me and um it actually looks really good like I know it like a lot of it's the marketing with with that company but yeah I, I really I really liked it they they do like a nice um 
like a pasta bake, but obviously it's plant based. I don't know how they managed to, to make that plant based, but apparently they do. So. But they do. It's it's all magic wizardry, <laughs> plant based magic wizardry. But yeah, this? I think that's definitely a marketing thing of like sometimes things will be called vegan, but most of the times it's plant based because plant based doesn't have the stigma. And with veganism, like veganism can extend way beyond what you eat. Like veganism is. Some people say veganism is more a lifestyle choice. Yeah, it's absolutely. not just the food yeah. you eat. You know, like it's like I don't buy like leather bags belts anything like that um and I try my best to like buy makeup which is cruelty free yeah so not tested on animals at all and I do like try and extend like veganism outwards but I think it just depends on your own personal like opinion and if you're doing veganism or trying to eat a bit less meat and dairy for the planet like you don't necessarily have to like be like I have to now like be a hundred percent vegan and wear like wheat trousers and like go to protests i don't know wheat trousers (laughs) what are those i'm just thinking of like the hessian like hessian bags like on your legs like so uncomfortable that would be scratchy as anything like i could not and like i've got hay fever too so wearing them in like a field of grass (laughs) it wouldn't be a good time it seems like that would be given to someone who needed a severe punishment like in a prison or something wear some jute material oh my gosh no I don't I don't think like anybody would expect somebody um you know who who's looking to kind of make those changes or even become full vegan like to do anything like that but I really like that message that you kind of like said about you know that kind of flexitarian approach like it's not a hundred percent all in um, no. You have a great episode on your podcast about kind of like veganism. Do you want to talk a little bit about your podcast and kind of like link it back to your science work too? That'd be cool. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. So we we did, I have a podcast with one of my best friends called Alex, who is a stand-up comedian. And <laughs> she's really she, funny. She's good, Alex. She, yeah. She's really funny. She's really dry. And we've been best friends since we were like 14. And it's great because we have these chats about topics. Sometimes they're quite fluffy and funny. Sometimes they're a little bit more hard hitting. So we did one on veganism and she will ask me like questions that she wants to know about because she's not from a science background. So she will like say to me, like, is there actually any evidence for this? Like what happens to people when they do this sort of stuff? So, but we just have like a chat about it and it is, it's really, really fun. Love doing it. So yeah, we publish episodes weekly we're on our second season at the minute and it's really fun I love I love doing it it's a good time yeah it's hypotha and then dash sis right yeah hypothesis because yeah. you know science you've got to have a hypothesis before you start any experiment and then me and Alex are like sisters so we went with hypothesis and we talk about a lot of issues related to women and things like that because we're both like marginalized groups in what we do like women in science and women in comedy yeah and women in comedy so we're both sort of in that field of like you know breaking the stereotype of what it is to be a comedian what it is to be a scientist so that's what we want to call it hypothesis so it's about us being friends about issues related to what we go through in our lives and then just other topics that interest us or that we're like this is really weird so we've just done an episode on like ghosts and if ghosts are real and that was really funny so um yeah, Alex was that- asking all sorts of questions about the science of ghosts and there it was just for me going through and looking through I saw a really funny quote and it was like the real ghostbusters are science because <laughs> like it's just like yeah they don't exist <laughs> 
according to science anyway yeah so, i mean yeah. no it's really fun i mean I, really feel, fun. I feel like i want yeah i feel like i want to talk about that episode now but instead i'm going to go and listen to it on your podcast and i i really yes. think that anyone listening to this if you kind of like this i think you'll really like theirs theirs is like really fun and you know kind of like lively and yeah i think like one of the things i really like is it's science accessible right so it makes that's if you're not yeah, from a science background like alex or like me for example you yeah. totally get it it's really good um yeah that's what it is it's about like approaching science in like I want science to be like this, like a conversation where you can just chat about it and not be worried about getting the words wrong or like being like, I don't know what that means. It being completely transparent and open and just being able to be like, hang on, what's that? And that's my aim with everything that I do, hopefully, is to make science just like a chat that anyone could have over a cup of tea and a few biscuits. Do you know what I mean? Nice. That is what nice we want. Bickies. I love bickies. I've just eaten. Love well, a bick. I ate three crusted creams earlier because I needed a little bit of a sugar rush. Well, I was um, going to say, if you want a vegan biscuit, Jammy Dodgers have just gone vegan. So nice. get yourself a packet of Jammy Dodgers and you'll be, you can then be like, look, I'm being vegan. I do like Jammy Dodgers. They're very happy biscuits, right? They smile at you. They it's are. great. Um, exactly. I also have some questions for you from some of our followers. Um, these are like, these are like a collection from Instagram and Twitter. Um so like our following is kind of made up of like educators in general. So like these are quite mm-hmm. educationy, I guess. Um, so one, the first question is, I'm not sure what to tell my class. So I think I'm going to presume this is a teacher. Um, if they ask yeah. me about veganism. Um, so like, Ooh. yeah, I know like they're not quite sure on how to frame that or like explain it in like so, a way that children can understand. Yeah, I think that it's, it's a topic, isn't it, that is probably skirted around because you don't want to approach this topic can very easily lead to like, I think, finger pointing and blaming, which isn't what we want to do at all. I just think it should be explained to children as like it's another way to choose to live your life. And it's a it's a choice that you can make. You know, we're all consumers. We all buy things from the supermarket. We all buy things from the shops and we have to think about where how that stuff is getting onto the shelves and like some people don't want to buy things that have come from animal produce and I think it is really important to emphasize to kids about the impact of keeping our planet healthy and happy and how the agricultural industry or like farming is okay maybe in moderation but the way we farm now is not okay because it's not in moderation because everyone wants farm produce and like for a planet with a population that's growing it's just not sustainable so I think you could just talk about it in the whole regard of like if you're addressing a topic like climate change or like trying to keep the planet like a nice better place for us all to live then I think veganism is something you can definitely bring into that and just talk about the impacts of trying to eat less meat so we don't have to farm as much. Uh, Yeah, that's the way I'd probably talk about it to kids, to be honest. I think going down the route of like, I don't know, it's animals and all of that. And I I think that's a different topic. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like that is maybe a topic you could have with teenagers like later on. And I'd have that as like an ethical debate, you know? I think that's something which is a really great debate of like, why do we treat dogs one way and cows another way? That would be a brilliant debate. I think for younger kids, it's more about the planet and that. And then maybe as they get a little bit older, get them to really think about why do we like have these certain animals that are farmed and we have other animals that we 
treat as pets. And then in other countries, it's a different way around. And all of a sudden people get like absolutely like all guns blazing when they see a dog farm in China. And it's like, but that's just what they eat. Like, so it's it's just because we don't eat that. So I think that's a really good debate to have for older older students. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then we've got another one here. Why mm-hmm. is going vegan so expensive? Which is quite a big oh. one, but I mean... That is that yeah. is a good I think that's a good question. So veganism can be very expensive because a lot of the products that are like meat mimicking products at the minute the market for them is much smaller. So and the cost to make them is is much more because it isn't like the mass produced sort of like farm products, you know, if you have chickens that are battery farmed, they're quite a lot cheaper to to like keep than going to get like organic produce to make vegan food. So I think that's the whole, it costs more to make. The market is smaller, so they need to make the money up because there's less people buying it. And so that makes that type of food really more expensive. But I'd say like veganism, I think there is this whole stigma of veganism being really expensive. But actually, if you go to like the bare bones of veganism of like I shouldn't say bones, should I? The bare cucumbers. I don't know. What should <laughs> the I say cucumbers. The, the bare cucumbers of veganism. The plants uh, when you go to, of veganism. <laughs> yeah, when you get down to the, the plant cells, then <laughs> it's it's really like your fruit, your veg, your pasta, your rice. Like all of those things are probably like on a shopping list. Some of the lesser expensive items on a shopping list. So when you actually think if I just shifted to that level, that actually is quite a manageable thing to afford it's just more when you try and incorporate some of the like fancier products that's when it gets a little bit more expensive but some vegans do not eat like processed fake meats and cheeses and stuff they stick purely to like a whole foods plant diet i don't because i love me some vegan sausages but (laughs) some people do and i feel like if you're on whole foods it is actually like a reasonably like priced way to like feed yourself i don't think it's like overly expensive but i think it does have this stigma of yeah some of the fancy products are more expensive for sure yeah but it can be done cheaply yeah like and um i guess like the last question is really similar to the first one but worded in Mm. in a kind of different way so this person has asked how do i explain the benefits um veganism and using um non-animal products without frightening my children so i don't know this person i don't know if this person is a parent or a teacher or home educator but I guess they're thinking more like how do I explain you know the impact this is having on animals like for example where milk comes from without terrifying children yeah I think that's such a hard line to tread it's such a hard line because in in the one sense you don't want to scare kids but in the other sense we are doing this to animals so like why are we like oh my god I'm so scared to tell children where this comes from but yeah I'm still buying it and still consuming it I think that will then it prompts a reflective point for the person who thinks like that I think because if we're scared to we wouldn't take children on a school trip to an abattoir but we happily take them to a farm so it's a very yeah it's I think that's a whole do do you know do you know like yeah like kind of like it's a hard one because I know year one students like well yeah little one to a five and six they'll do a topic like where does our food come from yeah and it's like it does kind of skirt around it and I think like a couple years ago you'd said to me about like milk and that sort of thing 
and it kind of stuck with me but then when it what really stuck with me is when I started breastfeeding my own child and then mm. I was like and I saw how hard that milk was to produce um and I really struggled with it like I'll be quite open about it and mm-hmm. you know kind of to me it was like liquid of the gods because it was so hard to make and um yeah you know the idea of of that happening to animals and I mean you go into an aisle and there's just liters and liters and liters of the stuff gallons you know and a lot of it goes to waste as well which is a huge problem with animal produce in the sense of like milk and stuff it just goes off so quickly so it's like so much of it ends up in the bin yeah yeah it's it's yeah I think it's it's a hard topic especially with little little ones you don't like you said you don't want to scare them but I just think if you approach the topic of like we want to make our planet healthy and happy and thrive and then if you bring veganism into it that way and talk about that side of it that's a way to educate children on being plant-based or like eating more plants and why we should eat more plants without going down the line of this is what exactly happens. But because we don't want to have those conversations, it does say to me, like, are we all comfortable with, are adults comfortable with what happens? Maybe not if they don't want to have the conversations with the kids. Probably not. Like if they don't, you know? if they don't want to like yeah. hear about it. Like I know I've tried yeah. to like speak to family members. I'm like, did you know this? Did you, um, did you actually know that this is happening? And they're like, oh, I just don't want to know. Like, but you can't not want to know. Like, we need to know. and We need to, yeah. yeah. And you have that. And it was funny. I had a conversation with your sister, one of my aunties, about milk. Was it Lisa? She, was it Lisa? Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> and she said to me, I said, well, for, for milk to be produced, a cow has to have been pregnant and you take the milk. And she said, I thought the milk came from, you know, when grass is wet in the morning and it has that white stuff on it. I thought that was the milk. No, she didn't. Yes, she did. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she did. She did. So I had this conversation. Wow. Of like She said, I thought cows ate grass and that made milk. And I was like, no, like milk has to come from, like cows don't just make milk. Like it's a baby is born the same way for humans. Like a baby is born and milk is produced to feed that baby. And so she was like, I got, and she was literally like, I cannot believe it. So I think that really changed her. She was like, oh my God. Like, And I think just having that general education of like, this is where milk comes from. Not just it comes from a cow. A cow must have a baby to produce milk. Yeah. And then people might be like, well, where does the baby go? And if people have those questions, I think be open, honest, transparent of like, well, the babies either go on in the future to make more babies so they can make milk or they go to make our food and they go and they are killed and they're made into food. I think... It's about having transparency, being open, not dramatizing it in any way, but also not trying to like sugarcoat it and be like, there's a happy farm and the cows are all running around. And then all of a sudden we have like a beef dinner and like, where's the steps in between? So like, yeah, I th- but I think there's a really romantic kind of image, especially like when I think of like my childhood of the milk man drops off the nice little milk yeah. and it's adorable because it's like a float and it feels very kind of wholesome you sit down on a Sunday you have this roast dinner you all come together with Aunt Bessie's roast whatever yeah I don't know but the point it's, is it's all the romantic yeah yeah and it's like you know no one's actually questioning why or how and I think like you kind of said quite quite a bit in this like show that you know it people don't like necessarily that it's like attacking that you know their tradition and but really it's it's always been there that's always been happening it's just 
ethically, like, and, you know, in terms of what, what's happening in the wider world, you, you know, you have a choice really to make whether you're okay with it or you're not, or there's something that maybe you can do, like, you know, just some yeah. smaller damage perhaps. And we have the privilege of, of choice. Well, like a good portion of us now have a privilege of choice, not everyone, but back in the day, I don't know, like people wouldn't have had the choice of what to eat. Like, it's like you have you have the cow, you eat that, you have the milk from that. But now we have like supermarkets packed with food. So we now do have more of a, it might be like, oh, this is my tradition. And it's like, well, maybe let's update the tradition a little bit because now it's not like that is the only thing you can have. There are so many other options. Yeah. And I like to have that like conversation. Like my parents eat meat, but they now eat a lot more like vegan veggie food as well. And it's just great. You know, it's like they've incorporated a lot into their diet that is vegan and veggie and I love that because then I get to like enjoy it with them as well so it's like new traditions come out from like these adaptations it's not about I have to give up everything I've ever known it's like let's just add new things in and we can have a balance thanks for listening to another episode of not another education podcast Remember, we love to hear from you guys, so please get in touch on our social channels on Twinkle Resources or hit us up on the email at podcasts at twinkle.co.uk. See you soon.